You know, it's amazing, the atmosphere right now. I always look forward to the atmosphere Holy Spirit develops. And, you know, I don't know what time he's going to sing. I don't know what songs Pastor Rana plays for prayer from 2 to 3.30. Um, but I'm telling you, everything is lining up for the start of this message. And, um, you know, I was just standing over there listening to Holy Spirit, and he just said, I'm not the problem, Doug. <laughs> he says, I can't fail. I mean, I wasn't accusing him, but he kept on saying, I'm not the problem. You know, I don't know why my people have to convince themselves that I'm not going to be faithful because I'm always going to be faithful to what I said I was going to do. I'm not the problem. My people are the problem only because of the fact that they just won't do what I said to do. And I know it's that simple, you know. And so, you know, the lead-in to this atmosphere is amazing because this, this message or this series is going to, you're going to really have to, uh, you're going to have to hear Holy Spirit's voice. So let me just recap some things that you know, for those of you that have been here, you know this is true because we have it recorded and some of the things that, you know, have come to pass over the last three years. Uh, I know Abigail had just sent me you know, uh, a text or, you know, and um, I know she tagged uh, Pastor Anna on the two. You know, a couple of years ago, I think a year and a half ago, as we started to walk through the plague season, you know, three years ago about the, you know, the, there'll be a 10-year season of 10 plagues. You know, and, you know, we were pretty articulate in showing that in the Word of God and what we're at season-wise. I shared with the message that the Bible's going backwards, and will end in Genesis for the restoration of all things. So I matched Revelation, you know, 22, 21, nine, or was it 20, 22, 21, 20, and 19, all with Genesis. So as we move forward to the book of Revelation, prophetically, we're actually moving backward as far as the Bible is concerned. And I showed you that in the Word where we are in a season of Pharaoh, the 10 plagues, let my people go. So I've been trying to prepare all of us that. You know, in the accuracy of all this, I mean, I didn't call it COVID-19, but I mean, my gosh, we described the lockdown in detail, you know, a year and a half before it happened. And I was like, I was stunned. You know, I was like, wow, praise the Lord, you know, but this is scary. You know, and so Abigail had texted us and uh, said, you're not going to believe this. Said, I remember you prophesied a year and a half ago that in the third plague that there would be this disease that would come you know, into the world that would uh, af absolutely uh, affect our cattle or cattle around the world. And she texted me this, this article, which didn't hit news, the headline news, but out of the blue, um, in Kansas City, I believe it was, or Kansas, you know, 10,000 cattle died on the spot. Just died. And they, they you know, they don't know exactly what's going on, but they just died which I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, this could be the precursor to the beginning of the fourth plague, which I had shared with you that if we're still here in the next season, which has not been fulfilled yet, which, you know, the Feast of, of, of Trumpets and, uh, you know, the Day of Atonement's been fulfilled by Jesus, but then the Feast of Tabernacles hasn't been fulfilled, which is all the coming back of Jesus. That has not been fulfilled yet. 
So we know that Passover and Feast of Unleavened Bread and Feast of First Fruits, Pentecost, those have been fulfilled, but this has not been fulfilled. So I was sharing with you, I'll give you the three plagues up to that season. And if we're still here, I was even joking, I think, with Jim or somebody. I said, I'll wait two weeks after the Feast of Trumpets. We're still here just in case we got the time wrong, you know, <laughs> before we actually just start to move forward in preparing ourselves for the fourth plague if we are going to be going through these 10 plagues. So God will always prepare his people. We're not to walk in fear, but uh, this is going to get pretty intense. So with that being said, um, many of the teachings I have given you, um, you know, have come to this point, this fork. And, you know, we have shared for years that God has called us to create a video teaching series called the Narrow Road Challenge based on the words of Jesus, that there is not many people that are in heaven and there's not many people that are going to heaven according to the words of God. He said the road to heaven is narrow and very few find it. So we went through that whole teaching and the word, the Greek word few means not many. So that has bothered me a lot. Not only for myself to make sure that I'm right with God, but it has bothered me because of the fact that I don't want to leave this earth without doing my part in warning people. I know I can't change people's minds, but I just need to make sure that I have done everything that God has asked me to do to warn people that the road to heaven is narrow and very few find it. Well, in developing this message, because people argue this, and I'm like, this is the words of God himself in the flesh, and if you're going to argue the words of God in the flesh, then I can't help you. Uh, because there is no other source, you know, that will bring truth uh, like 66 authors you know, or 66 books, 40, 44 authors over 4,000 years. If, if you choose to believe something else as far as your information, I can't be used by God to help you, you know. So we've been in the prisons, you know, which is the greatest ground to prepare this. Because in the prison system, believe it or not, you have every different belief system in there. So there are roughly 12, I think, during the week, 12 to 25 religious ministries that are in these prison systems. And they bring, every single one brings their theology. They're telling them, like we've been told, they're telling them what to believe, they're telling them how to believe it, and they begin to articulate this thought process, whatever way they're trying to present this message, so that they will believe what that person's saying. And so we've been exposed to this through the last 40, 50 years, you know, where you saw this whole movement, you know, last 40, 50 years where, quote-unquote, the go-to people have been these huge ministries that have been able to touch many lives. But as we're finding out, these and half-truths that exist in these leaders around the world that are drawing these individuals. So starting, we started filming um, Pastor Anna and what we call Pastor Becca now. She's licensed with the assembly, got her or certified, so praise the Lord. So, yeah, praise God. Um, you know, they did the uh, full teaching of water baptism. It's great teaching, man. And so they did that. They filmed that, and we're filming some other things as well. And so um, Becca and I, I don't remember the whole way this happened, but, you know, we were just talking on Friday morning, you know, just getting prepared for the day, assignments, that kind of thing, just jibber-jabbering like we normally for like a half hour or so. And 
And then I don't even know how we got on this topic, but all of a sudden, bam, the Holy Spirit just, just literally entered the room. And why was that? Because I was sharing with her that I was struggling trying to come up with an introduction to the narrow road challenge. And I have the components of it, but the introduction is very important. And I said, I can't, I can't come up with it because you, you and me have all these, these thought processes and all these voices around the world and in this country and in churches that all believe that they're right. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm just going in there, God, and I'm telling them that I'm right and everybody else is wrong. So how, how is this going to be any different? I, I'm just struggling, okay? And, and, and then, bam, Friday, it came to me. It came to me finally. And, and this just blew me out of the water. I mean, Becca was like laughing. I was laughing. I was like, oh, my gosh. Finally, I have the focus on what would help individuals make their decisions. So when I go through this, you have to let me develop this, okay? You have to let me develop this. Let me just propose some questions to you. Now, I'm talking to somebody who has a, has a sound mind, meaning not, not that they haven't been traumatized or had gone through wounds and traumas, but generally speaking, they could think things through and that I think that all of us would agree that there's some serious issues in this country, right? No matter what source of information that you may watch, I don't know, Fox News, CNN, newspapers, internet, which is another source of information now, you have all these pipelines of sources, but yet you and me really don't know what's the truth. Is that an accurate statement? Yes. Does anybody in here disagree with that statement? So in other words, let me reiterate what I'm saying, okay? The information that you and I have access to, the truth of the matter is, you and me don't know whether that's true or not. So let's transition into the churches now. There is only one thing that exists that would be able to compare the accuracy of what's being told to us. There's only one thing that exists, and that's the written word of God. That's it. If the written word of God is dismantled, okay, by someone's human mind to articulate an agenda that that person has, well, then what they're going to be used by the enemy is to only focus in on that agenda and cherry pick scriptures to produce that agenda. You see that all across this country, okay? And so yet you have this situation in prison, which we're exposed to. You have all these different belief systems. You, you have all these guys that believe that they're right, we're wrong, the next guy next to him is wrong. You know, it's, it's an absolute fiasco. You could bring in the uh, Bible and begin to show somebody, I'll give you an example, that you know, it's, it's a young lady that came in with her husband and um, you know, she, they were sharing some issues they were going through. And um, I was just listening, because uh, you, know, you know me, I'm not here to judge nobody. I just listen to everybody's story and try to push them into an area or a thinking process and push them into an area of understanding what the consequences could have been if they, were, if they died in that sin or died in that situation if they were sinning. 
And so they began to tell me they grew up in a Baptist church, you know, and, you know, so I asked them, I said, do you believe in the once saved, always saved message? And so they said, not really. I never really bought into that. You know, I know that was really pushed on us by the Baptist church, uh, you know. And so she, I think she asked me a question. She goes, well, you're a son of God. He says, do you, do you think that you need to, can you go to heaven? Do you need uh, the second baptism uh, that's talked about at Pentecost to go to heaven? I said, no, you don't. She goes, really? You believe that? I said, no, I know that because that's what's in the word of God. I said, now, can I be a true witness of Jesus Christ without second baptism and do the works that he did? Absolutely not. But it doesn't mean I'm not going to heaven. So she was shocked at that. So I went back and readdressed the situation, and she was telling me about how she was wounded and hurt, and she went into this lifestyle of sexual promiscuity, and then her husband, he went back into drugs, and they're struggling coming back together. So I said, let me ask you a question so we can come to a conclusion as to how God might be able to use me to help you, okay? And she said, what do you mean? I said, because there's a possibility God can't use me to help you. I said, so I want you to read Galatians chapter 5, 19 to 24 which is basically the works of the flesh that Paul said, if we live a lifestyle of the works of the flesh, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. I mean, it's pretty straightforward, right? So I had her read it. She read it. I said, now, based on your testimony of the lifestyle that you chose to live, believing that you were a Christian, would you have gone to heaven or hell if you died based on Galatians chapter? You know what she said to me? She goes, I would have absolutely because God loves me, and that I believe in him, and so therefore he knows I make mistakes, he knows my heart or my soul, so yes, I would have went to heaven. I closed my Bible and said, I can't help you. Because what this young lady was told, told, was to believe a system of thinking and doctrines that were pulled out of context out of the Bible, Okay, and she was told how to do it, what it meant, but yet she didn't know that she should have said, why do you want me to believe that? So I'm going to tell you in the beginning, I know Pastor Anna Becca laugh at me because they're great teachers, and I'm not. Okay, they can build up where you're out to cluck and all of a slow drop the climax down. I'm like, yeah, finally she gave me the answer to this whole thing. You know, I'm not like that. I'm going to tell you in the beginning where I'm going with this. And then I'm going to go backtrack. Because if I lose you in the beginning, well, then you're not really here to hear. That's what I just said. I'm going to show you in Scripture, John chapter 3 where we have been told, we have been told that John 3.16 is the gospel message. I'm going to prove to you by the time this message is over that that is not the gospel message. And we need to put the love of God in the proper perspective throughout the whole Bible. I'm going to prove to you that Jesus used Nicodemus to bring him through a thinking process that he, Nicodemus, needed to change in order to understand what the real gospel message is, is you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. Yeah. 
Okay, so I told you in the beginning what I would do. This is going to take about a month and a half, maybe even two months to do. So you got, you got to give us some time. Okay? So recently, there is this demonic manifestation that's blowing through the second heavens that is now And that thinking process is not because you have to do it's by what somebody tells you. And immediately I picked up this, this, this spirit in today's Fox headlines when Putin began to declare that the world order is coming. Publicly. He said that the United States, that we have played God. Well, you know what? God has used this country amazingly to touch the world for decades, if not hundreds of years. And you know what? Putin's right. He's actually preparing the world for the one world order because he has said that a nation is no longer aligned with this thinking process of the United States. Now, what can we do so we don't be told what to think? I think there's 125 denominations in this country, legitimate denominations. In other words, they're recognized by IRS, they're recognized by a group of people. I think there's 100 or 125 denominations, and all of them believe that they're right. So how are we going to break free of this demonic manifestation now that is coming through the pulpits to tell you and to tell me what to believe? Mm. I'm here to declare to you that you need to shift your mind and to ask the question, why? Do you want me to believe that? Why do you think that way? which would force them to open up their Bible. Now, I'm not saying that everybody's going to understand this, or may, not they could, they'll understand it, but I'm not going to say everybody's going to change the way that they think, but at least we have presented a perfect scenario of God himself utilizing what today's culture calls critical thinking, not critical theories. It's called critical thinking. Now just use the word critical. It begins to say is, it, the word is to criticize, meaning not in a bad way. It is to ask the question why. So in order to be able to develop this critical thinking mentality, Jesus used Nicodemus to bring him through a critical thinking process. In John chapter 3, to get him to think for himself. Why? Because he was the man. There's a lot of translations in John chapter 3 that Jesus, God himself in the flesh, said, You are the religious leader. In other words, he was a go to guy. He was the one that all the Jews went to for all their answers or for their questions and, their, and the answers. And he was the man. And Jesus said to him, you don't even understand this? 
So Jesus, being God himself in the flesh, had to walk him through because he did not want Nicodemus to be a robot and to tell him what to believe. He had to show him through a critical thinking process that God created to analyze the answer so that he could make a decision for himself. So to be fair, the Greek and the Hebrew words repentance literally is defined as this. Change the way you think. John the Baptist, his message, change the way you think and show the fruits of your repentance. The message of Jesus, change the way you think. For the kingdom of God is at hand. Paul's message, change the way you think. Peter's message, change the way you think. If you and me are still here at the end of Feast of Tabernacles plus two weeks. (laughs) If we're still here and we have not changed the way we think as far as the word of God is concerned, we will not make it. Meaning, you'll still be alive, hopefully, but you're not going to make because it says even in the last days, the elect will be deceived. Right. I'm declaring to you, you need to use critical thinking. I'm not talking about critical race theories. I'm talking about critical thinking. We have been told, never challenge a spiritual leader. You are touching the anointing. Oh, give me a break. That is the most manipulative statement I have ever heard in my entire life. And the reason they say that is because they don't want you to ask the question, well, why do you want me to believe that? Jesus was never like that. You talk about the anointing? There are many people that touched the anointing called God himself in the flesh. They still lived. They didn't drop dead on the spot. So in understanding this, okay, please forgive me for reading to you. But I'm not going to take somebody else's work and try to make it my own to make myself look good. So I'm just going to give you the history because I like to be fair. I'd like to give you all the information that is possible to develop as to whatever I'm teaching you. That's why we give notes. We have everything recorded because I need to be held accountable because if you ask me why, do you want me to believe that? I need to show it to you in the Bible. You know I've said this for decades. Well, I've only been here 12 years. 12 years. So 12 years, all right? Man, look, bring your Bible in, let's open the thing up, and let's just share with me what you're struggling with. So after the end of this message, you're going to be stunned, stunned at the lies that have been told to us about the love of God. 
We need to hit this head on. Why? Because I prophesied three or four years ago, there is going to be a perverted message of the love of God that is going to hit the churches and hit this world, and you're starting to see it now. You're starting to see it in Hollywood with nutcase Will Smith, who's abused in his marriage, that thinks that he's got to continue to earn his nutcase wife, okay, love, and go to the extremes to win her love? Yeah, okay. Let me tell you something, man. You carry the true love of God. You carry it because that's the true love of God, meaning the balance of that love. So with that being said, I set the agenda for probably the next two months. This will rock your theology and rock your boat, and that's the purpose of it. Because if you don't change the way you think and I think, we will not know the whole truth. It's impossible to know the whole truth of the written word of God. Now, with that being said, when you ask the question why, there's the ultimate question in the good news message of you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven. There is no other way. Doesn't make a difference what anybody says. If we, if the sin nature that we're born into is not driven out of our soul by the born again experience, there is no way to go to heaven. Period. End of story. That's by the words of Jesus Christ. All right? That is the ultimate goal, right? I'm hoping that you declare yourself as a Christian because the ultimate goal is to get to heaven. Am I in the wrong place here? So, with that being said, when something's introduced to you, Okay, you should ask the question, is that going to affect my salvation and why do I need to believe that? Because that's the ultimate goal, right? So when somebody says to you, hey man, you're not under the law of God anymore. You're just under the kindness of God, the grace of God, and the love of God. You have to ask yourself a question, well, why do you believe that? Will that affect my salvation if it's false? Oh, yeah, it will. Oh, yes, it will. Because they just called Jesus a liar. He said, I didn't come to loosen any law of God. I came to fully preach it and teach it. And then he commands us in Matthew 20 for who he saves. Whoever I say, save, Doug, you are to go and teach them how to be kingdom citizens and to teach them everything I said in the four gospels the 50 commands of Christ. And guess what? All 50 commands are direct quotes out of the Old Testament. So I began to question some of these leaders. Well, why do you say that Jesus is a liar? Well, I'm not calling Jesus. Yeah, you did. You say you're not in the laws of God anymore. I said, I'm, I'm saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I, I agree with you. But Jesus said he didn't come to abolish the law of God. You say he did. Why do you believe that? Oh, the anger that comes up. Oh, the, why are you getting angry, dude? Just show it to me in the Word of God. Well, Paul said, whoa, time out. You mean to tell me that one man who at best was a, a, associated with murder, secondary murder, what do you call it? Um, accessory to murder, thank you. At, at the best, if today's he'd be charged with I don't know how many accounts of accessory to murder in his participation in participating in murdering Christians. You mean to tell me, and this is religious leaders I'm talking, you mean to tell me that 4,000 years have gone by from Genesis 
to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then Paul comes along after 4,000 years that the law of God was told and preached to who knows how many society, and you're going to tell me that one man came and changed the whole thing? You're the one that's crazy, not me. You're going dis, to disapprove 66 books, well, 65 books or whatever you want, letters that Paul wrote, and 44 authors over 4,000 years, and you're going to claim that one man changed it? Overruled the king of kings and lord of lords? That Jesus couldn't even speak for himself? But he did. Are you hearing what Holy Spirit's setting you up for? So let's talk about the full gospel as far as our mind is concerned. Because in the Old Testament, it says your mind is wicked and deceitful, never trust it. Well, why is that? Well, if you go back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, it says that God's Spirit, Holy Spirit, will no longer contend or strive with the vain imaginations of men anymore. In other words, Holy Spirit was removed from the minds of men and the minds of men were no longer contended with by Holy Spirit in them. It wasn't until the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in John chapter 20, verse 21 to 23, it says, peace be with you. For as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And it says he breathed on them and said, receive Holy Spirit. Now, Holy Spirit, if you're born again, is contending with your mind. You have the greatest teacher living in you to contend with your mind. Why are we not using our mind under the influence of Holy Spirit to come to a conclusion of what to believe? Okay, so I set that foundation. Give me some time to, to start develop this. It's not going to happen in this service. So it's going to be a little bit longer. So please hang in there. Don't get, don't get antsy, okay? So in order to be fair, all right, we are going to have to go back and to figure out where this concept or this ability to train a person's mind how to think critically. Remember, as I'm developing this, I'm going to prove to you line by line in John chapter 3, verse 1, all the way through that chapter, that Jesus used Nicodemus to walk him through a critical thinking process to come to the conclusion why Jesus said you must be born again to enter the kingdom of heaven because Nicodemus didn't understand. Jesus never told him what to believe. He walked him through a critical thinking process. So where did this critical thinking originate from? Well, I'm going to read you out of this person's, I don't, it's not even signed, but it's out of um, some <clears throat> critical thinking foundation. Uh, they actually have a Christian college in Australia now that are teaching young ladies and young men how to critically think what's being told to them. Whoa, praise the Lord. Amen. Now, I can assure you, most religious leaders are going to slam this. Why? Because now they're questioning or being questioned to prove why they want you to be teaching you. So, with that being said, this is a brief history of the idea of critical thinking. <clears throat> Forgive me for reading to you. I don't mean to find anybody here. <clears throat> The intellectual roots 
of critical thinking are as ancient as its etymology, traceable ultimately to the teaching practice and vision of Socrates in 2,500 years ago, who discovered by a method of probing questioning that people could not rationally justify their confident claims to knowledge. Confused meanings, inadequate evidence, or self-contradictory beliefs often lurked beneath smooth but largely empty rhetoric. Let me just give you two quick examples. And I've said this publicly. Women cannot be teachers. So when I had to deal with this through these theological men, I said, well, let's walk this through the Bible. You mean to tell me that all the women that were prophets, Esther used to save the nation of Israel. You had Deborah who had to convince a man, the general, to go to war. Okay, she was willing to go to war, but he wasn't willing to go to war. And so we have all these women in the Old Testament. It's true that there was no women in the Levitical priesthood, but the Levitical priesthood doesn't exist today. It's coming back, but not today. And let's go to the New Testament, okay? So you're going to tell me that Paul mentions two women as his apostolic partners, but they couldn't say nothing. Okay? And then you're going to lead me to believe that the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in the book of Revelation, who had the chance to solve this whole problem with a woman that was teaching in one of the churches, he didn't say, you're being judged because you let a woman teach. He said, you're being judged because what she's teaching. So then Paul says, I don't allow women to teach. That was his choice. It wasn't a revelation from God. He would have said it. I have a revelation from Jesus. He said, it's my choice, and here's my reasons. I, I'm fine with that. But then I just did a quick study with this great theological leader and said, well, when Paul said women are not to speak in church, isn't that in the context of the gifts of the Spirit, when the gifts of the Spirit of prophecy were breaking out and speaking in tongues, interpretation tongues? Didn't he say, I don't know exactly what was wrong because it's not clear, that some sort of chaos must have broken out where this speaking, where women were saying, hey, what did he say? What do you mean? Blah, blah, blah. You know, you know women like to talk, okay? <laughs> Right? And so I don't know exactly what went on, but obviously Paul had to deal with a problem where there was a lot of speaking going on by women. But then, okay, you have the word teach in the book of Revelation. That word teaching is instructing through the word of God, and Jesus never condemned the church for having a woman teach. I'll stick with the word of God in the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do I agree that every male minister has the right to choose whether they want a spiritual female helpmate or not? I agree. My choice is I need a spiritual helpmate. Praise the Lord. And you got two good ones here. Pastor Anna and Pastor Becca, they are great spiritual helpmates. That's my choice. Okay, so there's a, there's a definition right there where there's self-contradictory beliefs that are often lurked beneath smooth but largely empty rhetoric. There's no backing in the word of God. Critical thinking. So Socrates established the fact that one cannot depend upon those in, quote, authority 
to have sound knowledge and insight. This guy was smart. He demonstrated, Socrates, that persons may have power and high position and yet deeply be confused and irrational. He, Socrates, established the importance of asking deep questions that probe profoundly into thinking before we accept ideas as worthy of belief systems. Now remember, Socrates was alive before Jesus came. It says, Socrates, he established the importance of seeking evidence. What does the Bible say about the Bereans? You need to show that to me in the word of God, Jack. Chapter and verse. But beyond that, it should be an Old Testament teaching connected to the New Testament teaching because now we're seeking out total evidence. Okay, now watch this now. Closely examine reasoning and assumptions. He established the importance of seeking evidence. Closely examining reasoning and assumptions. Analyzing basic concepts and tracing out implications not only of what is said, but of what is done as well. His method of questioning is now known as Socratic questioning and is the best-known critical thinking teaching strategy. Jesus used this strategy. And I'm going to prove it to you. Not now. This is developed. In his mode, Socrates, of questioning, Socrates highlighted the need in thinking for clarity and logical consistency. Socrates set the agenda for the tradition of critical thinking, namely to reflectively question common beliefs and explanations, carefully distinguishing those beliefs that are reasonable and logical from those which, however appealing they may be to our native egocentrism, however much they serve our vested interests. What does that mean? We need to critically think and examine what somebody may be telling us to believe telling us some sort of doctrinal issue, okay? And understand that more than likely, they have an agenda. So Socrates was saying, you need to question and find out what that agenda is. So as he goes on, because I'm not going to read this and bore this with you, I started to ask the question, hmm, this guy sounds like he might have known God. Now, he could not have been a Christian because he lived before Jesus came. But yet, he could have still believed in God. So there is historical evidence. I'm not saying it's fact, but there is historical evidence that in the historical books that have followed his life, it says that Socrates believed in God, the big G. 
and felt like that he was able to hear in his belly area. That sounds like a born-again Christian, although it couldn't have happened because Jesus hadn't come yet, but yet he could have heard God. Because it possible that God could have filled him with the anointing of the Holy Spirit to be the person, to establish a critical thinking method that Jesus used himself? Is it possible? What's interesting is, is St. Thomas Aquinas also picked up this critical thinking knowledge from Socrates. And if you know anything about St. Thomas Aquinas, he was one of the early church fathers. And he was persecuted beyond persecuted because he questioned what people believed. Are you hearing what Holy Spirit's saying right now? Now listen to this. I pulled this up from a dissertation from, I guess it was a young lady. So I'm going to try to get through this. And this is about the life of Socrates. Look at the comparisons of what Socrates critical thinking method of asking the question, why? Provide me the evidence. Where is this common sense thinking process coming from? It says, although Socrates lived long before Christ, there are many indications of the philosopher's ideas, and I'm not introducing philosophy into the body of Christ. I'm trying to just make a point here. There are many indications of the philosopher's ideas being close to those of Christianity. To some extent, Socrates was God's prophet who proclaimed the things commanded by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you have a leader that has a problem with that, well, you know what? All they got to do is look up Balaam. Balaam wasn't a Jew. He was God's prophet. That guy knew God's voice. That guy was told the laws of God. And he was planted in the middle of pagan societies. But yet he was sought after, not only by Jews, but everybody in the land at that time. So God used a non-Jew at that time called Balaam, who ended up turning against God and using the laws of God to disarm the power of God in his nation. And he died, and everybody that followed his teachings died with him. So with that being said, is it possible what you were told and what I was told would lead us to hell? Oh, yeah. Because the road to heaven is, or is narrow. That the gate to hell is wide. Boy, I can feel the Holy Spirit right now. And that no wonder our internet went out. First time in I don't know how many months. There are three ways in which Socrates may be considered a God thinker or a God-like thinker. Firstly, as well as Christ, Socrates disapproved of unfairness and the division of the population in classes. Secondly, he proclaimed the need for reflection in order to find the essence of things. And lastly, Socrates was truly devoted to his people. And he refused to escape from death because of his devotion to his people, to which he was condemned by those who were dissatisfied by his preaching. Sound familiar? Socrates' attitude towards the government had much in common with current Christian beliefs, even to this day. In his dialogues, Socrates discussed the idea 
of confronting the government. In the philosopher's understanding, the one who opposed the many and tried to prevent the, quote, unjust and illegal behavior would not survive. So let me transfer this from government to the church. Let me just reread this. And I'm going to put the church in place of the government. In the philosopher's understanding, the one who opposed the many church doctrines and tried to prevent the unjust and illegal teachings of the laws of God would not survive. Is that the truth? Because Jesus said that. You will be persecuted because of the way you live. You will be kicked out of temples. You will be kicked out of churches, not because you're a loud mouth whatever. It's because you ask the leaders, why are you saying that? Show that to me in the word of God. Once saved, always saved. Show that to me in the word of God. When Jesus said, when Paul said, if you're grafted in as Gentiles in the vine, be careful. Don't become proud because you could be broken off just like the Jews. Well, there goes that teaching right there. And then Jesus used the word salt and light. If salt is no good anymore, it's thrown away like the dung. Those branches that don't produce fruit are broken off and thrown into the fire. Doesn't sound like you're saved always. Amen. Hello? Socrates considered that democracy was vital for the successful existence of people and their good relationships. Let me put the church involved in this. Socrates, not him, but in his philosophy, consider that democracy in the church, not a theocracy, meaning this, Jesus is the head of the church. His way is the way and the only way through the written word of God. But in order to find out the truth of the way, the truth, and the life, there needs to be a democracy or a gathering of the people together to find out the truth of what is being told to the people of God. Praise the Lord. Sorry for getting loud. Also, Socrates, he defended the idea of justice and thought that, quote, injustice must never be done. These ideas are also reflected in Christianity, which makes it very possible to regard Socrates as a godlike thinker. Jesus also defended the rights of the poor and encouraged everyone to be considerate and helpful. Love your neighbor as you love yourself, especially to the less fortunate individuals. God said, I'm defending the poor and the widows, and if you start to use them or hurt them, I'm coming after you. In Christianity, a large role was given to charity and the need for structural changes in society, salt and light. We are not supposed to hang out in church. We are supposed to go out in that world and be salt and light to the world. We are supposed to fertilize somebody's life, but we're also supposed to disinfect what is not true that they might believe. And then we are supposed to be the light of the world, that the nation of Israel, by the commandment of God, he said, you are to be a light to nations. But they gave up that call because they became like the pagan gods. Whew. 
Christ tried to persuade his contemporaries that people should not strive to gain much wealth or power. Is that not true? Rather, they should live in peace with one another and offer support to those who could not earn enough to buy food or provide for their families. Similarities between Socrates and Christ, Christ's ideas can also be traced to what concerns charity or love. In Christianity, it was believed that the division of people and classes had a negative impact on the welfare of some of the citizens. Socrates, in his turn, argued that democracy was not the best way to develop the world in becoming a better place. What is more, the philosopher was convinced that moral beliefs were passed to the next generations by their parents who were responsible for the children's moral education. What did God say to the nation of Israel? Teach your children my laws. One more concept to be mentioned in this uh, relation is that of charity. In Christianity, charity, or love, was believed to have remedial power and to be able to change the injustice in society. Socrates also considered that fairness and charity could alter the state of affairs and could eliminate class biases. Thus, it is possible to consider that Socrates was a godlike thinker, in that both philosophies found it crucial that the society should be democratic and that all people should have equal access to its resources. Now, in this country, you know that's one of the fights in this country, okay? And I'm not saying that that part is right, but if you shift that to the church, God has said that there is different classes, okay, of people with wealth. There are different classes of people with faith. Everybody has a measure of faith. God has given a measure of wealth. But what did he say to use that, though? He said to use your wealth to bless your brother if there's a need. What do you say about faith? Lock your shields of faith, your faith, with another person's faith and create that one great faith. So getting off of this with Socrates and just setting the foundations, to be fair, to show you where this concept or where this ability to think is called critical thinking, where it originated from. Now, in saying that, okay, today, in today's time, generally speaking, those who recognize critical thinking is absolutely necessary in the world today, which I 100% agree, without critical thinking, you and me are never going to know the truth if we don't ask the question why. In the church, you and me are never going to know the truth unless we ask the question why. Nicodemus came to Jesus asking him, not the why, but the how. Well, how can a man be born again? How is a man going to go back in his mother's womb and be born again? He was not asking the right questions. Jesus had to bring him through the steps of asking the real question, Why? Why did I say you must be born again to go to heaven? Because in his mind, he was the man. He thought that if the laws of God were, you know, were lived, that you're going to heaven. And Jesus said, no, you got to be born again to go to heaven. 
In today's Christianity, which I have shared with you for years, I have always said that this grace and love group, which we're all saved by grace, okay, because we believe in Jesus, but our relationship, our covenant with God is 100% based on obedience. The grace and love group changed the message. And they use John 3.16 as evidence that it is the love of God that is continually being loosed into the world. That's not what it says. How could God say he loves the world continually when the world is coming under judgment? That makes no sense. And Jesus had to establish Nicodemus in giving him a sense of understanding how to critically think this through to come to the conclusion, thank God, that we find him pulling the body of Jesus off the cross. So Nicodemus made a choice based on critical thinking, which we're going to walk you through. You will be stunned at the true meaning of John 3.16. Stunned. There is no doubt that in today's culture and society and Christian church, we need to shift our thinking to critical thinking. We need to question what we believe. Have we really believed the right message? I can share with you, if you had the message of somebody come to you and say, Sue, Jesus loves you. The good news is Jesus does love you, but not in the context of a salvation message. You know, Jesus loves you, Sue. And all you got to do is, you know, you got to say this prayer and repent of your sins and go to church. That's it. That's all you got to do. It's that simple. Well, her salvation, not saying it's the case because she's been in church for a while, her salvation may not be a true salvation. Because the real message is, Sue, you must be born again to go to heaven. You've been born into a sin nature that has separated you from God. And if that sin nature is not gone when you die, you can't go back to God. The good news is this, is that Jesus died in resurrection to drive out that sin nature if you believe and continue to believe in him. But you got to repent. That's the good news message. I personally believe based on the scripture that Jesus you, the road to heaven is narrow and very few find heaven that most people who claim no Jesus are not saved. They've been given the wrong message. So why do I say that? I don't say that because I'm happy, because it breaks my heart. It really does. I say it because we need to present the true why theology of why Jesus said you must be born again and put everything in context through the whole word of God. Let me just give you a little nugget of truth so you can study this before the next two or three messages. Jesus had to walk Nicodemus through a critical thinking process And what he did was, he used John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 to walk into John chapter 3, verse 16. So let me just give you a thought process here. John chapter 3, verse 14 and 15 was all about the snakes in the wilderness. It was about Moses' command by God to build a brazen pole with a serpent wrapped around it. Bronze, the reason was a bronze serpent because it was a picture of judgment. Bronze is a picture of judgment. 
John chapter 3, verse 14 to 15, before Jesus said, John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, he had to walk Nicodemus through the scriptures to validate why Jesus said you must be born again. So if you just go back and you read John chapter 3, verse 14 to 15, you'll see it. You have to go back then and read the story of what happened in Numbers with what was going on. Well, if you go back, it says that the nation of Israel were murmuring and complaining against God. And God said, enough. I'm going to send some snakes. And they were dying. Dying. Because of their sin of murmuring and complaining against God. Did God say to them, I love you. I love you. And I'm going to rescue you by taking away the snakes. Did he say that? Mm -mm. He told Moses, I see a need that they have. They've sinned against me, but I'm offering them mercy right now. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to build a pole and put a brazen serpent on it. And whoever believes and looks up will be saved from those snakes. So what was it, the love of God message that saved them? And then the very next statement that Jesus made, for God so loved the world. We're going to get into this. Hang in there. Give me 15 more minutes, please. Don't let me lose you. So what are the general, uh, this is in your, your notes now. You can look at this. What are the general agreed characteristics of a critical thinker today? Number one, it's the ability to think for yourself independently, clearly and rationally. Let me say it again. This is an agreed characteristics of critical thinking right now. It's the ability to think for yourself. Independently, clearly, and rationally. Ladies, I got some message for you. You know why your husband doesn't like you most of the time? I'm going to give you an answer. Because you're always asking him why. Why are you making a decision? Can you show me the checkbook? Do we have the money? Why are you doing that? Because women in general are critical thinkers. They want evidence and they want rational thinking as to how they're being taken care of by their husband. And that's the reason why most husbands don't like you. Because you guys are critical thinkers. You all owe me lunch. It's true, right? Is that true? That's a true statement with my most women in marriages. They're going to ask men, I, I want to know why you're making that decision. Show it to me. Why, 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 why? So that's number one. Number two, <clears throat> it will involve the ability to meditate and to contemplate on an idea or a problem. Apply reason to that problem or idea and then make logical connections between the ideas. Hence why I shared with you the teaching of Jesus to Nicodemus. He said, I'm going to show you what I mean about being born again, about being saved. And he used the logical connection 
of what Nicodemus already knew of. He knew the snake story. He knew that. So that's why Jesus used that to logically cause Nicodemus to critically think this through instead of using Nicodemus' own mind, which he didn't understand. What does it mean to be born again, Jesus? Number three, a critical thinker is involved in his or her learning rather than being told what to think or believe. What does that mean? That means you got to pick up your Bible. See, most people who claim to be Christians, they just want to be told what to do. They don't want to put the effort in, into studying yourself to be approved by God. A critical thinker is not a person possessing intelligence. Critical thinking is politely aggressive. Praise the Lord, I'm politely aggressive now. In questioning ideas philosophies, and assumptions rather than accepting them at face value as told to them. Last one. I'm sorry, two more. Critical thinkers will seek out and determine for themselves the validity of what is being presented to them as an idea, philosophy, or argument. Critical thinkers do this by analyzing the entire picture and are open to those findings either for or against their beliefs. Acts chapter 20, verse 26 and 27. Paul said, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Why? For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What is the implications of this? The implication is, is for all those ministers around the world that are giving you and me a half-truth, that means that the blood, if they go to hell, is going to be on that preacher because they didn't use the whole counsel of God. Last one. Critical thinkers will identify, analyze, and solve problems systematically rather than by intuition or human instinct. To close this out, and thank you for being patient, I, you have a chart that is in your notes. It is a, it's characteristics of critical thinkers and non-critical thinkers. Let me just read this. Critical thinkers are honest with themselves, acknowledging what they don't know recognizing their limitations, and being watchful of their own errors. Who is a non-critical thinker? They pretend that they know more than they do. They ignore their limitations and assume that their views are error-free. Gary, critical thinker, okay, this is a critical thinker is they regard, they regard problems and controversial issues as exciting challenges. That is why I was so pumped to start the narrow road challenge because we need to 
address these issues. And it's exciting. I told the men at the prison, and there's several of them that do not like me in there. And I try to tell them, hey, look, dude, I am not here to try to change how you want to believe. I'm here to address the issues that you believe in that are not supported by the Old Testament and the New Testament as to what you believe. What you choose to believe is your choice, and whatever you choose to believe, you're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell, period. Now, an uncritical thinker or someone who's not a critical thinker, they regard problems and controversial issues as nuances or threats to their ego. Hence, these are most Christian leaders. Don't touch the anointing. Because you're going to be struck down by God. That is a guy. That is a guy that does not want to deal with the whys of his congregation. Third one, critical thinkers. They strive for understanding. They keep curiosity alive. They remain patient with complexity and are ready to invest time to overcome confusion. What is a characteristic of an uncritical thinker compared to that? They are impatient with complexity and thus would rather remain confused than make the effort to understand. A critical thinker, has they base their judgments on evidence, biblical evidence, rather than personal preferences, deferring judgment whenever evidence is insufficient. They revise judgments when new evidence reveals error. What is an uncritical thinker? They base judgments on first impressions. Oh, man, this church has got the bomb praise, man. They gave me coffee. They gave me a donut. They parked my car. This is awesome. I got my recliner chair. There's smoke blowing around there. This is the bomb. Why do you think most churches have gone to the first impression philosophy? Because they want to draw the non-critical thinker. Why? Because they're easily impressed by first impressions. And they will not ask the question, why? They base judgments on first impressions and gut reactions. They are unconcerned about the amount or quality of evidence and cling to their views steadfastly. What is a critical thinker? They are interested in other people's ideas. Can I just two seconds give me for a comment here? No, we've been through this like every church. The mass exodus of people. Somebody gets ticked off at me. Doesn't bring their Bible. Doesn't bring any evidence or whatever they're ticked off at. And the next thing you know, you got five other people following them out that door. Because these people are what they call uncritical thinkers. They are interested in other people's ideas. Hold on, let me finish this. 
and so are willing to read and listen attentively even when they tend to disagree with the other person. What does that mean? Well, when, you, when somebody gets ticked off, that's your friend and me? Well, then you ought to call me up with your friend and say, can we come talk to you? Can we hear your side of the story? Oh, sure, come on in. Never had that happen in 20 years of ministry. Never. An uncritical thinker based on that statement are preoccupied with themselves and their own opinions and so are unwilling to pay attention to others' views. At the first sign of disagreement, they tend to think, how can I refute this? See, this is the biggest deception that the enemy is using right now. Anybody that is willing to articulate through the whole counsel of God that, yes, we are born again, saved because we believe in Jesus. Okay? Anybody who brings it to the next step, like the narrow road challenge, we lay this out clearly all the way through the step and say, hold on a second. You are now born again. You, the, what has caused enmity between you and God is now driven out of your soul so you can meet the God that saved you. But yet what we have in the church today is that group of people don't want to let them leave the grace and love message, which is the evangelistic message about, you know, his God's kindness has saved your soul. All right? They don't want them to leave. The truth of the matter is, biblically, they're not in relationship with God yet. They got to walk through this process just like the nation of Israel to come meet the God that saved their soul to agree to the terms of the covenant. They're not in relationship with God. So what the enemy's doing now is anybody like myself to say, hold on a second, man. Can you just give me a couple hours and I'll simply lay this out for you? which is what the narrow challenge does. Just give me a couple hours, all right? What will happen is, is that they'll get a group of people that will start running their mouth and start to raise their voices to try to put down this mouth. And because there's this big group of bullies, spiritual bullies, well, then everybody who's watching you would think that they're right and I'm wrong. Isn't that what Jesus had to go through? Did he have to face a bunch of spiritual bullies? It's what's going on right now in the church. Anybody that raises their voice and say, yes, God's kindness has saved me because of what I believe in. But then you start to tell them, I got to be in covenant relationship with God. They will bully you. The road to heaven is narrow and very few find it. Recognize, this is a, this critical thinker, recognize, the critical thinker recognizes that extreme views, whether conservative or liberal in the church, are seldom correct. So they avoid them. And they practice fair-mindedness and seek a balanced view just like what Jesus did to Nicodemus. 
an uncritical thinker ignores the need for balance and give preference to views that support their established views. The last thing, critical thinkers practice restraint, controlling their feelings rather than being controlled by them and thinking before acting. An uncritical thinker tends to follow their feelings and act impulsively. Hello. This is going to take two months, guys, but I can promise you, by the time that we're done with this message, you will have one, you will have a biblical process, and let me bring it to a step further. I will show you in all four Gospels, Jesus used critical thinking when he talked with everybody. Everybody. He, brought, he didn't tell them what to believe. He brought them through the process. And he always used what they knew was the truth. And then, at the end of this message, you will have the proper picture of the love of God in the Bible and what it means and who it applies to. We need to hit this head on. Because there's going to be a wave of the perversion, the spiritual perversion of the love of God that has already started now. And the main people that are starting this are those individuals that have popularity, they have a microphone, they have an audience around the world, and they are not born again, but they think that they're Christians. Most of them are politicians and actors and sports people. And you know what? who's really at fault with it is us. We're the ones that developed them into that platform. When God had warned us, not that you can't enjoy a football game, not that you can't enjoy you know, a good movie, not that you can enjoy, but you don't pick up the value of that movie if it doesn't match the value of the word of God. So can we pray? I hope you're going to come back. <laughs> It's too bad we didn't have this online because I'll tell you what, man, there's several people, a lot of people that are online that would need to hear this message. So, Father God, for whatever reason, we just rest in your sovereignty. Maybe there's some people online that just would have somehow just taken this the wrong way. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. There is a, a group of people that are here today that did hear this message. We are on a road, a good road, that will help us to begin to examine and use critical thinking to examine what we've believed in the past to what we believe now to what we need to believe in the future. Because you said the road to heaven is narrow and very few find it. And you said in the last days, that even the elect will be deceived. We cannot afford to be deceived in these last days. So help us, Holy Spirit. Help us to set aside everything that we believed. And let's build this back up according to critical thinking that you use, Jesus, for everybody you talk to in Jesus' name. Amen. Can we give God a shout? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord.